teach us by his word. Our text this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." I am the more eager to, to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 133, stanzas 1 and 2. The texts to which we're giving attention to this morning are the same verses that we've read, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And you'll be helped by having your Bibles open to that text as we'll be going back to it very frequently. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, verses like this or or snippets of Paul's letter like this are a good reminder to us that this letter to the Philippians wasn't written only as a theological textbook or a practical rule book. That's sometimes the way that, that we want to read Scripture as what theology can we get out of this or what rules for living can we get out of this. And those are both good things. But it's good to remember from time to time these were first of all written as letters to real churches and real people with real concerns and needs. And sometimes the temptation for us when we do get to passages like this Uh, concerning individual people is to skip over these because we think, well, this isn't really written for us. This isn't relevant to us. This is just material for for the Philippians. These are just their their private concerns. But if we do that, we, we end up missing a very important lesson from the book of Philippians, and that's this. We sometimes read this letter, let's take verse 3 of this chapter, for example, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We sometimes read this, this letter and we can become so calloused 
to hearing very, very high, noble commands like that one, commands that, that almost seem impossible to, to keep, that we start to think that a letter like this to the Philippians is really just holding up an ideal for Christian life, but not a real-life expectation for you and me. But when we read Paul, and now commending commending Timothy and Epaphroditus, we realize that the things he's writing is not just something for the Philippians to think about or do a Bible study on or preach a sermon about, but things that he actually expected them to put into practice. You can imagine if Paul came to Philippi later, as he promised he would, and he found out they were still pursuing selfish interests, and each person still considering themselves better than, than others, and he asked, well, didn't I tell you, consider others better than yourselves? And they would have said, well, we, we did do a Bible study on that verse. That obviously was not Paul's intention. He wrote those commands to show this is what a Christian life actually looks like. And that's why passages like this, verses 19 to 30, are so valuable to us today. Paul sent these two men, first Epaphroditus, then Timothy. Uh, He sent them to Philippi with the, the commendation that these men embody the very things that I'm writing about. So in, in the book of Philippians, we don't just have instructions and commands. We have real-life examples. Yes, sinners, they are real men. Uh, they are sinners. They are people like us. And yet they are people that heard the gospel and believed it, and it changed their lives. And they were then doing the very things that Paul had commanded um, the Philippians to do. And it's not only true of, of uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, it's true of even Paul himself, and it's good for us to reflect on that as well. We saw this a few weeks ago in, in chapter 1, where Paul talks about his perspective on his own sufferings. And there too, we might sort of wonder, why do we need to read this? This is Paul's personal situation. It's just, it's private, circumstantial information between Paul and the Philippians. It's not really relevant to us. But the fact is, it's very relevant. Paul wrote it so that we would look hard at his example and learn from it. That's why he gave it to the Philippians in the first place, so that they would learn from his perspective and imitate it themselves. They could see in Paul, this is what Christian life actually looks like. It wasn't just do as I say, it was also do as I am doing. And the same now is true of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul wants the Philippians to take a good hard look at these two men, because they were actually living the kind of Christian life that he's commending to them. So let me show you also then this morning why Paul puts these two men forward as examples. And and we'll see what they're examples of, and then we'll also take some time to put ourselves in the shoes of the Philippians and, and consider how ought we then to respond to examples like this. And let me say from the outset, 
men and women like this did not just exist in Paul's time. They've existed throughout history in the church, and, and I certainly do believe they exist in this congregation as well. So as we look at Paul and Timothy, or at Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul puts them forward as examples. We can learn from that by also looking at the examples that we have in our own midst. There's nothing unchristian about saying, here is a saint, follow this man, he sets, or woman, and they set an example for us. That's, that's not unchristian. It's not to deny that they're sinners. It's to say there's a lot we can learn from, from these people. And so, from the outset then, the, the lesson we can take from these verses is that Philippians is not just abstract commands or ideas for Christian living. It's real and it's concrete, and that's the very point of this passage. Paul's desire in these verses is that the Philippians would see Paul's instructions embodied in these two men so that they would not just read his teaching but that they would have a visible pattern to follow. So I gave the sermon this title, Genuine Concern and Sacrificial Service for Christ, because that's what each of these two men embody, respectively. Timothy, genuine concern, Epaphroditus, sacrificial service. So first, let's take a look at Timothy, who Paul introduces in in verse 19. He says, I hoped in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, and the Philippians did know, they knew Timothy personally, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will shortly come also. A couple of comments about Timothy. First, you'll notice Timothy was not going to Philippi right away. Paul was going to send Epaphroditus first. He was going to hold on to Timothy until he knew what was going to happen uh, to himself, what the outcome of his trial before Caesar was going to be. And so he promises, as soon as I find out, I will send Timothy to you. And Timothy would go then and help to pastor that church in Philippi. Because Paul knew that the church in Philippi did need a pastor. So it's not that he wants to hold Timothy back. He says, I need Timothy first for myself. But as soon as possible, I'll send him to you. Second, Paul says in verse 19 that his hope in sending Timothy was that he would be cheered by news of the Philippians. So Timothy was going to go there and minister for a while and hopefully send word back to Paul. And notice how, how positively Paul speaks of this congregation in Philippi. The congregation themselves are a real example to us as well. Their sacrificial service before, in the service of Christ And notice Paul demonstrates very high expectations for them. He says, I hope to send Timothy because I know that if I do, I will be cheered by news of you. He demonstrates his his confidence in them, that the, the report from Timothy he already knows beforehand is going to be good. 
It's often the case that with leadership that that people will become what their leaders expect of them. Officers in the military know this. If you expect your men to be strong and courageous and, and capable, that's what they will grow up to become. If you expect them to be weak or cowardly, that's what they will ultimately be. The same principle governs how teachers teach in, in school and indeed even how parents raise their children. Your expectations ultimately become reality. And that's what we see here with Paul and the congregation in Philippi. He expresses his, his absolute confidence in them. I'm sending Timothy to you because I want to be cheered by news of you. So he lets them, them know that he's confident that he already knows they're going to take his words to heart and they're going to live them out in, in real life. So you see here a missionary who really loves his congregation and really believes the best of them. Paul himself sets an example of of good Christian leadership. It's an example that ministers and elders and and all Christian leaders can can learn from. But let's look at at Timothy then himself in verse 20. Paul says, "I, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Notice that, that Timothy, then, is, is an example and an embodiment of the very thing that Paul has just written about in the beginning of, of this chapter. Look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, If there's any encouragement of, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now Paul is saying, if you want to see what this looks like in real life, take a good hard look at Timothy. He says, Here's a man who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, unlike those who are only looking after their own interests. So when Paul introduces Timothy here, he sets him forward as an example of what that that humble, selfless service looks like in real life. This is what it looks like to consider others more significant than yourselves. Timothy has been here, he says, with me, serving alongside me for the sake of the gospel, like a child with his father. Timothy had that attitude about him that, that was able to treat Paul as, as a father. That's how, how small Timothy saw himself. He regarded Paul as more significant than himself. And don't forget... Paul was not the most impressive person. He admits that uh, to the Corinthians, that people would often say about him, well, his letters are very strong and weighty, but in, in person he's, he's fairly weak and, and unimpressive. And Paul owns that to the, to the Corinthians. He says, you're right, that's, that's true of me, but he does tell them, at least what I say in my letters I actually do when I'm present. And so it makes Timothy's humility all the more impressive to consider how unimpressive Paul was. It wasn't Paul's personal charisma that attracted Timothy to him. Instead, it was that Timothy recognized Paul was a genuine servant of Christ, and so Timothy was willing to work alongside an unimpressive man because of his love for Christ and for the church. He was willing to be like a child to Paul, 
to, to, to sort of adopt Paul as his spiritual father because he was far more concerned about the church of Christ and the cause of Christ than promoting himself or his own career. And Paul says that is so unlike everyone else that I have here around me. He says, everyone else is not genuinely concerned for the church, but only seeking their own interests. It's hard to say who exactly Paul would have been talking about. I don't think that Paul is talking about unbelievers here. The, the implication is certainly that he's talking about fellow Christians. And it, it reminds you of chapter 1, verse 15, if you remember that far back, where Paul was writing about others who were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. And there, too, he wasn't talking about unbelievers, because he says he rejoiced that Christ was being preached. These are people that were preaching Christ faithfully, but for the wrong motives. And so he is talking here about about Christians, fellow Christians. And that's backed up by the fact that he's talking about people who were, who were with him. And so the most obvious reference seems to be the people who are right around him in Rome, the same people probably that he's mentioning in, in chapter 1, the, the leaders at the church in Rome. They, they weren't unbelievers, but they were people that recognized that there was an opportunity to get honor and attention and promotion for themselves by preaching Christ, and so they ended up being more concerned with promoting themselves than with simply promoting the gospel and the honor of Christ and the well-being of the church. And it isn't the only time either that Paul expresses disappointment in, in some of his own colleagues. In fact, in Paul's personal private letter to Timothy, he mentions a few of the names even of some of these people. He says, this is Second Timothy chapter 1. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are, are Phagellus and Hermogenes. Or, or chapter 4 of that same letter, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him, for he is very useful to me. Not all of those had abandoned Paul faithlessly. Luke, certainly not. Titus, certainly not. But certainly Demas has, and, and Crescens, we don't, we don't know. But again, a few verses later in, in 2 Timothy, he says, At my first defense, no one came. So this is, this is after Paul's letter to the Philippians, his first defense before Caesar. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. So we see that the church in Rome ultimately didn't even back him up. But he says, All deserted me, but may it not be charged against them. So, so there were a mixture of people that worked alongside Paul in the church at Rome. And sadly, a number of them had become so wrapped up in themselves that they became no longer useful in, in ministry. And these, these were obviously, would have been hard words for Paul to write about his own colleagues, but he's being honest here with the Philippians because they need to recognize this because they are as, as vulnerable to this as the church in Rome. And, and so are we. We're vulnerable to the temptation to promote and serve ourselves instead of promoting and serving the honor of Christ and the well-being of the church. That's a temptation for every generation. And so it, it leaves us it should leave us with some self-reflection. Where is our love? Is our love for Christ 
and our love for the church, like Timothy's love, one of genuine concern. It's especially an important question for ministers like myself to ask, as well as for the elders in the church and those in leadership. Is your love like the love of of Timothy, one of genuine concern for the church? So Paul puts Timothy forward then as an example of, of genuine, sincere love for Christ and for the church. He wants the Philippians to know the, the kind of selflessness and love that he was calling them to earlier in this chapter, uh, those are not unrealistic things for Christians to actually embody and, and live out. You can see them in the example of someone like Timothy. And, and I know that that example does exist in Christians also in this church. Let us learn from those examples where they exist. Notice also Paul says that Timothy is, is someone of proven character. He was someone that the Philippians themselves knew. He wasn't at all a stranger to that church. Timothy was originally from the region of Galatia, so not, not very close to, to Philippi. So that would be either Lystra or, or Derby, And that's where Paul first met him. On his first missionary journey, he bumped into this young man, Timothy. And you can read about that in Acts 16. In fact, let me read just a few verses, because it sheds some light on, on who Timothy was. This is Acts 16, verse 1. Paul, it says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, so Timothy had a Greek father, and he wasn't circumcised as a child, which means he, he would have been raised then according to his father's culture and practices, not his mother's. He was, he was raised as a Greek man, raised in Greek culture. And yet at the same time, he had learned the scriptures from his mother and grandmother. Paul, Paul says that in, in 2 Timothy 1. So he was familiar with Jewish culture, but he was raised as a Greek man. And the reason this tells you something about Timothy's character is that in the end, Timothy did not despise the Jewish culture of his mother like so many Greeks and Romans did. The, the Jews were hated in Greek and Roman culture. But instead, Timothy ultimately embraced that lowly Jewish culture, just like Moses who who was raised in Pharaoh's courts, but saw it better to be counted with God's people than to be counted with, with, with the Pharaoh of Egypt. We see the same thing in Timothy. He embraces the Jewish faith of his mother. And from his youth then, he believed the word of God to be true. And when Timothy heard the gospel of Christ, when Paul came there to Galatia, and when he heard that God had sent sent the Messiah that his mother and his grandmother had told him about and, and that they were waiting for, Jesus Christ, when he discovered the gospel, when he saw his own sin, and he realized, when he saw the forgiveness in Christ that God had given to mankind, Timothy believed it. He didn't see it like so many Greeks and Romans did as some ridiculous Jewish myth. 
Timothy heard the gospel, embraced it, believed it, and ever since that day gave his life to the service of Christ. And we can see by Timothy's life that that being counted with Christ and counted with God's people mattered far more to him than the prestige and respect that would have come with being a Greek. And so you can see how, how deeply Timothy loved Christ by his willingness to count himself with God's people, by his willingness to be a nobody for the sake of Christ and for the church. The fact that he was willing even to be circumcised in order to minister to the Jews in Jerusalem just for the sake of not offending them so that he would be able to minister to them. He goes beyond the biblical requirement so that he could serve them and serve Christ uh, and bring Christ to them. So it's an amazing example of humility and service and, and like Paul says, genuine concern that you find in Timothy. And it's certainly a lesson for us as well. Sometimes genuine concern means going above and beyond what Scripture commands us for the sake of not giving offense for the sake of serving one another. Obviously, those of a weak conscience can't hold the rest of us hostage by saying you ought to go beyond what the Bible teaches. But we should ourselves have the attitude of being willing to go beyond what Scripture teaches for the sake of not offending one another because by that, in that way we can then minister to one another. So when Paul saw this this kind of genuine concern and love in Timothy, he compelled him to join him and serve at his side. And, and it's after Paul picked up Timothy in Galatia that Paul ended up going on to Philippi. And during his time in Philippi, then, the Philippians would have gotten to know Timothy. And they would have been able to see his integrity and his love and his concern for them. He was someone of, of proven character. In fact, if you do a little searching around, you'll notice that most of the letters that Paul wrote, Paul, of course, is the most famous apostle um, in, in all of history, most of the letters that Paul wrote, he actually wrote together with Timothy. His name is included, Timothy's name is included in the greetings of 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, as well as Philemon. And Timothy is also mentioned in in Hebrews, which might have been written by by Barnabas or some other apostle. And so it tells, tells us that Timothy, even when he wasn't serving alongside or right next to Paul, was still serving alongside the other apostles, contributing without needing his name to be on the on the title of the letter. Timothy doesn't get a whole lot of attention from us compared to someone like Paul or or Peter. But the reality is Paul probably could not have done what he had done without the selfless service of someone like Timothy. But instead of using using that that proven character to, to promote himself, which Timothy could easily have done, he saw more usefulness in the service of Christ in the church by just staying at Paul's side and ministering to him while he was in prison. In other words, he chose to be useful in God's service rather than famous in the eyes of other people. 
And Paul uses a very strong word in, in, in verse 22 of, of Timothy. He says, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And, and the word he uses there is a strange word. It's, it's co-slaved. He has co-slaved with me in, in the gospel. So, so Paul was willing to be, as it were, a slave for the sake of the service of the gospel. So that's, that's then Timothy. Paul commends him to the Philippians as an example of genuine concern, selfless service. It's exactly what he had told them, or what he had written to them to do, to do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Look to the interests of others, not only your own. This is what serving Christ looks like. And he says you can see this in someone like Timothy. Let's look also then briefly at Epaphroditus. The, the kind of, of commitment and genuine concern that you find in Timothy, Paul admits it's very hard to find. Everyone else has, uh, has chosen to serve their own interests first. But there is one other exception, and that's Epaphroditus. So look at verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And look at what Paul calls calls this man. He says, he is my, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So Epaphroditus, he was one of the Philippians' own members. He was a member of the church at Philippi. We don't know what kind of background this man came from. He might have been a slave, that's the theory that some have, but, but we don't know that for sure. Just as an interesting aside, his name is actually a pagan name, Epaphroditus. It means a favorite of Aphrodite, which was the Greek goddess of, of love. So this is a man that certainly came from a pagan background, and there must be a very interesting story that we'll only get to hear when we, when we go to heaven or on the new earth. There must have been a beautiful story behind this man's conversion to Christ, and, and the same thing is true for him as was true for Timothy. Like Timothy, here's a man who heard the gospel of Christ, saw how significant it was, recognized in Christ the Savior that God had sent, and his life was changed because of it. He believed that gospel, and that gospel took hold of this man Epaphroditus, so that here we find him a committed servant to the gospel. So whether he was a slave or perhaps even someone more important, in any case, the Philippians decided to send this man to Paul to bring him some gifts and to minister to, to his needs. Epaphroditus then was the Philippians' way of showing their love for, for Paul. And you, have to, you really have to, as you read this letter, you have to appreciate the, the intensity of the love between Paul and this tiny Philippian congregation. The, the sacrifices that they were willing to make, and don't forget Paul says elsewhere that this was a church that was in extreme poverty and under persecution, and yet they, they sent this man, Epaphroditus, to go and serve Paul. And Paul calls him my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. He was not only just a believer, redeemed by the same grace by which Paul was redeemed, which would already make him a brother, 
So he says, he's first of all my, my brother, but he was also a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. He didn't just receive the same grace. He fought the same fight. He shared in the same trials as Paul, and, and he put himself in danger for the work of Christ. You can imagine that as, as when the Philippians received this letter, uh, they would have been very honored to hear this from, from Paul, since Epaphroditus was one of their own members. And so by, by honoring Epaphroditus, Paul is also then honoring the whole congregation at, at Philippi. And so it's obvious then that Paul wasn't talking about, about everyone when he said that they all seek their own interests. There certainly were some who, who weren't. And, and Epaphroditus was certainly one of them. And so he tells the Philippians, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you because, in verse 26, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So you notice it's not just Timothy that has genuine concern. Epaphroditus certainly does as well. And Paul goes on to say, indeed, he was ill, very, very ill, even near to death. So, so apparently, then, here's, here's the background story. Someone had come to Paul with news from Philippi, and part of that news is that they heard that somewhere on the journey from Philippi to Rome, Epaphroditus had fallen sick and was so sick that he was nearly to the point of death. And that's the last word that they heard from, from Epaphroditus. So they don't know whether he's still alive or dead. Paul's now sending Epaphroditus back because Epaphroditus can't bear the thought that his congregation is worried sick about him and doesn't know whether he's even still alive. So Epaphroditus, he says, is, is distressed for their sake when, when he heard that they, they had heard about, their, about his illness. And so he goes back to them. And, and again, you have to appreciate the love, the, the relationships of love that exist behind this letter. The love between Paul and the Philippians and the love between Epaphroditus and, and the Philippians. These are real Christians with all the real struggles and sorrows and joys of Christian life. But Paul says, God had mercy on him, Epaphroditus, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager, therefore, to send him, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So Paul wants to make it clear, I'm not sending Epaphroditus back to you because he's no longer useful to me. I'm sending him because he can't bear that, that you're worried about him. And it would have been then Epaphroditus who carried this letter to the church in, in Philippi. And so you can thank Epaphroditus' faithful service for the fact that you have uh, this letter at all. He would have carried it across the, the Adriatic Sea at the risk again of his own life back to the church in Philippi. And he would have probably been the one to make sure that it was kept safe and probably copied and passed on to the other churches such that we now have a copy of this letter today. So we can all thank Epaphroditus for that. So Paul says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men as him, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So if, if genuine concern is the mark of Timothy, it's total sacrificial risk-taking commitment that is the mark of Epaphroditus. And Paul tells the Philippians, honor a man like this, or honor both of these men, honor men like these. Uh, 
here's the point then. Paul isn't just honoring Timothy and Epaphroditus as, as sort of a formality because Epaphroditus is the one carrying the letter. He's saying this because he wants the Philippians to recognize, and we should recognize it too, that men and women like this do exist and that they embody the kind of devotion to Christ and commitment to Christ that Paul is urging us to have as well. It's one thing to to read him tell us to do nothing from selfish ambition, or in chapter 1, to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Or, as we saw last week in chapter 2, to work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. It's one thing to read that. It's another to also hear Paul sending someone and saying, Look at these people. They are actually doing this. Here is what I'm talking about. Honor men and women like this and follow this pattern yourselves. Now, obviously, Paul never sent anyone to Elora. But God certainly has put such men and women here in our own congregation as well, just as God does in in every Christian congregation. And the point then is that we would learn from examples like these. The, the point of verses like, like chapter 1, verse 27, uh, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, and those other commands that Paul gives, the point of those is not just that we would do Bible studies on them and preach sermons on them, but ultimately so that we would take them to heart and put them in practice. This is real Christian life, not just a sort of heavenly ideal. So Paul sets these two men forward as examples so that we would know that this kind of service is possible. It's realistic by God's grace. We shouldn't just hear his instructions. We should look to the examples that God puts in our midst. So let me then just conclude with a couple words of application First, notice that Paul says that Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. And in in that case, that work of Christ was not doing door-to-door evangelism or preaching to pagans in in Rome or or further further from, from home. That work of Christ was simply the practical work of delivering gifts that Paul needed to stay alive. Doing the work of Christ is not always something very up and front and visible like like door-to-door evangelism or overseas mission. Those things are are good and necessary. But the work of Christ is also just the the visiting and the encouraging and and the the admonishing of fellow Christians. It's it's whatever your gifts and your calling is, your work and your ministry. It's giving time and effort for the sake of making Christ's glory shine all the brighter and all the clearer, whether that's through evangelism or through regular daily sacrificial service. It can involve all kinds of simple uncomplicated, practical things the way that it did for Epaphroditus. Now, realistically, probably not too many of us are, are going to find ourselves risking our lives for the, for the work of Christ the way that Epaphroditus did, although it, it could happen. The possibility of persecution coming to Canada is, is very real. But the bigger point is this. No one is willing to die for Christ who isn't all the more willing to live for Christ. After all, what's easier, to give up a part of your life 
for the service of Christ, your time, your money, your efforts, or all of it, your life itself. Epaphroditus was only willing to die for Christ because he was already wholeheartedly willing to live for him. Most of us probably won't be called to risk our lives for the sake of Christ the way that Epaphroditus was, though we should be prepared should God call us. But if God doesn't call us to risk death, he certainly does call us to offer up our lives in service. We ought to to make an effort to prove that we are willing to die for Christ by our willingness to live for him. And if you want to know where is God calling you then to make sacrifices for the work of Christ, let me suggest in the first place the sacrifice of time. And here I'll focus especially on on the sacrifice of the role of, of befriending and discipling those in the church. And I think especially of the, the younger members in our church. If there's a sacrifice of time that's needed, it's certainly there to come alongside, especially the younger members in our church, to disciple, to befriend. There are dozens of young people in our church that need that kind of time-sacrificing commitment. And if, if there's anywhere in this congregation where that work of Christ can be carried forward with, with genuine concern and, and sacrificial commitment, I would suggest it's, it's probably there. I know there are other ministries as well. And, and again, it's good to remember then, the work of Christ is not only evangelism out there, it's just as much discipleship right here in the church. And, and there's certainly a crying need for that within our own congregation. I can only do so much, the elders can only do so much. So if it's the case that you're not already up to your neck in other ministries and committees, and perhaps even if you, if you are... Consider this call to to the work of Christ that ought to be done, needs to be done here in this congregation. How can you carry forward that work of discipling and coming alongside the young people and also those that that exist on the fringes of the church, those that, that are out of the building a minute after the service is over? How can you come alongside them and disciple them? So I give that to you as, as a, a, a work of Christ Uh, that I commend to you. Obviously, though I should stress this anyways, obviously that sacrifice is not a way of earning Christ. That's not what Timothy did it for. It's not what Epaphroditus did it for. They didn't give their lives to the service of Christ in order to, to earn the gospel. They did it because they believed the gospel. They saw how precious Christ was, and so they gave their lives out of gratitude for what Christ did for them. The sacrifice that Christ had made for them was far greater than any sacrifice they might make in the service of the church. And so, for Timothy and Epaphroditus, this work of, 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 of serving the church, this sacrificial work, was a sacrifice that they were glad to make. They didn't make it begrudgingly. They rejoiced at the opportunity to serve. Don't get the impression that these are men who are just slaving away miserably at, at their task of service. Though I imagine Epaphroditus had his low moments as, as he lay there sick. I know I certainly would have. But this was a ministry of joy. 
And, and I hope that you can see that then all the way through the text. I sort of skipped over some of those, those verses. But just, just look at, at three verses here. Verse 19, I hoped in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. There's, there's joy running through Paul's veins behind that. Verse 28, I'm all the more eager to send Epaphroditus to you that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men as these. And next week, we'll be looking at the next, the next verses that Paul writes, especially chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We'll see it again in even more detail in, in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So for all the trials that, that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus went through, it was still a ministry of joy. It was permeated with, with the triumph and the gladness that flows out of the gospel that comes from the good news of knowing that our works, as weak as they are, as, as tainted with sin as they are, do not separate us ever from our God because he sees Christ's righteousness and Christ's perfection in our place. And that frees us to do this kind of sacrificial work uh, that these two men were doing. So then let me encourage you to follow their example. Look hard at the example of, of men like these and and imitate that example. Give your life in service to Christ from the bottom of your hearts out of genuine concern to serve Christ, to serve the church, and to magnify the name of God. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from hymn 69.